Well, good morning. My name is Noe and I'm an alcoholic. It's good to be here. It's good to be here at Storytime. I've been here before, but I always look forward to sharing with people. Um, you know, some what I'm going to say is my story. It's how I see things and how I interact with the world. And I, I'll try to use me statements, but it doesn't always work out. I statements as it is. To qualify, I got sober on 7707. And again, that was lucky sevens for me. It was important because uh, I was done. I was finished. I was sick and tired of being sick and tired and decided that that would be, you know, the why not? Why not? Why not? I could. Uh, Give it a try. Well, uh, let's see, hang on. Thank you for your patience. Um, so I called up a friend of mine who told me he'd gotten sober and I said, I need to talk to you. I said, he said, he's, I said, you still sober? He said, yes. I said, I need to talk to you. And I went over to see him and he, uh, uh, He took, took me to my first three meetings that day. And at the, uh, on the last meeting, I was able to raise my hand and admit that I had a problem with alcohol and that I couldn't stop without help and support. And, and my first sponsor that day was a guy I used to throw out of the bar. It was my temporary sponsor. <laughs> And I'm like, you? And he said, yeah. I said, how long you been sober? He'd been sober a year. He'd quit using and drinking. And he said, go home and eat a bunch of bananas. I said, why? He says, because you got a monkey on your back. I'm like, oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> he says, actually, it's because you've been drinking your carbs. You've been drinking your carbs. And uh, sorry, everybody. Sorry about that. Too many things to do. I, I apologize. No, we, um, well, well, Brianna and I'll handle that. I'm sorry. So uh, let me just say, you know, at, at that point, if I re if he told me I had to quit drinking for the rest of my life, I would never have stayed. I, I no, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna join anything, you know. Uh, I like Groucho Marx, you know. I never joined a group that would have me as a member, so <laughs> that that was that. But he didn't. He said, "No, we can just today. Can you stop drinking today?" And I did, and I ate a lot of bananas, and I uh, got up at 6 a.m. and went to 6:30 meeting the very next day, and that was 15 over 15 years ago. That first piece of advice, one day at a time, just can you do it today? Don't worry about tomorrow. Can you do it today? And I believe that. I said, yeah, I can do it today. Hell, I got up this morning and said, I can do it today. I'm going to do it. Got up, did some things, you know, well, you know, I'm not going to drink. I'm not going to use. But of course, in early recovery, you had a lot to learn. 
and I had a lot to learn. My sponsor made me sit at the front of the room and raise my hand and I said, I don't want to. And he says, come on, it's part of it. And so I said, my name's Noe, I'm an alcoholic. And the whole room was, hey, Noe. And I was like, God, I hate all of you. <laughs> and they all busted out laughing. I said, well, maybe I am in the right group. I uh, I just couldn't believe it. Uh, I struggled, but I knew I had to come back. I had a little little black book that I carried and took to the meetings and, you know, would write in at every meeting. I'd be writing something down. I had to pay attention because my brain wasn't working quite right just yet. Uh, so I, I, uh, I'd write things down. And one day people came up to me and said, no, you're always writing in that little book. What are you saying? Oh, you want to hear what I'm saying? Fuck you, fuck you, fuck you and you and you. I'm not going to drink today. Because I was really angry. I was really furious. I was the only man of color in a room of 150 people. And I didn't feel good about that. But I wasn't going to let that stop me from getting sober. So I got a sponsor, my regular sponsor, and and he uh, he says, well, I'll do 90 meetings in 90 days. And I did 90 meetings in 90 days. But about meeting uh, 76, I called him up and he said, oh, my God, this is great. This is great. Why hadn't I done this before? Why couldn't I have done this before? It's really fantastic. And he says, no, you're right on track. And a few days later, I called him up in tears, sobbing. I said, I don't even know who I am anymore. Just heartbroken that I'd lost everything. And he said, Noe, you're right on track. He made me learn that it's my program. It's my recovery. And I really needed to keep moving forward. Well, he went out. I guess I drove him to drink. I don't know. <laughs> No, it wasn't me, but he had some, you know, he went out and disappeared and I, I decided to make you guys my sponsors because that back in the day. And uh, about a year later, I asked someone to be my sponsor and he said, hey, think about it. I'm like, you think about it. Don't you know who I am? He finally said he'd be my sponsor. And he admitted to me that he, him and everybody else in that room of said uh, they, they thought for sure I wasn't going to make it. I think he ended up in that page of the fuck you pages. <laughs> um, and he was my sponsor and still is. 14 years later, Mark is still my sponsor and he has a sponsor. I'll get to it because uh, it changes. Uh, this program changes a lot. He and I went through the 12 steps, one step a month. <clears throat> we got to step four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. And I was struggling with that step. He says, no, he didn't say immoral inventory. <laughs> it's like, oh, because I was digging deep. And he said, no, just a, a moral inventory. Write the good things down about yourself, too. That helped a lot. It was just a list. It helped a lot. Well, we got to step five to make any sort of talk to somebody or mention things that I might, you know, uh, tell somebody about stuff that had happened in my life. 
he says, well, now that we've done step five, you, you know, this is when we get on our knees and pray to God. And I said, well, you go right ahead. If you want to do that, you go right ahead. And I got some magic beans to sell you after you're done. He busted out laughing. And I appreciated the efforts, you know, but it was not my belief. We finished the 12 steps in a year. And at the end of it, he says, no, we have sponsored over 80 people and have taken them through the steps. And you're one of four who's ever completed the steps with me. And I was like, wow, really? Well, I'm glad I'm at the end because you sucked. <laughs> but he gave me a chip and a pat on the hat back. And he says, he'll do these again. And I said, okay. You know, I always believed that deep down inside I had lost something. Something precious ever since I was a child. And I was looking on the outside, looking in the outside of myself, trying to find it. And it never took me a long time to realize that I'd been carrying it within me. It was there, and it's still there. And, uh, but that was the journey, you know. That was the journey I began before I started drinking as a child. Uh, that questioning, uh, the traumatic events in my life that happened that made me different and eventually led me to drink and drug a lot. Because at 14, when I discovered marijuana, I was like, oh, well, this, this is who I am. Because it pulled me away from the memory of being sexually abused as a child you know, and always carrying around that guilt and shame. That wasn't it. And then alcohol. <laughs> Woohoo! That made me, it gave me courage, it gave me strength, it gave me perceived witticism, you know, sexy monkey guy. But again, that wasn't it. And at 53, when I finally stepped into these rooms and said, I'm done. If I keep doing this, I'm going to die. That's when I learned to start looking inside instead of outside. Not right away. Seven years into my sobriety, I was at a meeting and a gentleman pointed up at the ceiling and said, let's remember who brought us here. God brought us here. And I yelled out, I drove. <laughs> I drove. And I realized I had to find a different kind of meeting. I'm an atheist. I don't hold that belief anymore. I had at one time in my life, I had a really strong belief. But not anymore. And I found a meeting of atheist, agnostic, free thinkers, and others, and was able to find a group of people that I really liked. I remember going into that meeting and crying. You know, there, there, there wasn't a deity. There wasn't something I had to bow down to. I never had that belief. 
And here it was that we could actually get sober without God, without those rules, you know, on the wall. That made it really difficult for me to stay clear. Those who look outward dream. And I was a dreamer. Sobriety gave me a fantastic boost in my career because <laughs> I wasn't showing up drunk. Uh, and But then that career started, you know, as a young man and went through all my whole life. But it was always the dream. It's always dreaming outside, always looking outside for the answers, looking outside in my creativity, which is really important to dream, absolutely. But it wasn't until recovery that I began to look in inward. Those who look outside dream, those who look inward awake. And it was Carl Jung that said that, and it made so much sense to me. So it began another journey of looking inward and finding ways, you know, sitting still, sitting quiet. I was at a meeting at the San Francisco Zen Center. And uh, the guy up front, Jeffrey, says, so rather than having a higher power, maybe maybe a broader power. And boy, that resonated with me. A broader power. I don't have a higher power. I have a broader power because it puts me here. It puts me right here. In this breath, there's my, there's the power in this breath. Now I get another one. It's always there. It's always making that, uh, that realization. So if, I was so glad, glad I had an option to choose a different way of being in the world a different power, so to speak. Um, but again, it's within. I was caregiver to John and he, uh, he had dementia, was very old and um, was with him when he was dying peacefully, but he was, struggling and i was in the room with him talking with him saying it's okay john it's okay you can let go john and i had mozart playing he loved mozart i had candles burning and he was breathing and i stopped breathing i held my breath and i could only hold it for so long and i had the realization I can't stop breathing, neither can he. So I turned off the music and I blew out the candles. I leaned over and kissed him on the forehead and he started snoring. <laughs> and I realized I'd been keeping him awake. <laughs> he died quietly a few hours later. Breath, 
this is what I've learned about recovery. It's not, a, it wasn't about, sure, you know, I had to, you know, I, alcohol, is, as it says, alcohol is but a symptom of what was going on inside the, the journey inside, the awakening inside, the idea that I'd lost something precious and I'm always looking for it, but I'm always looking out there. I'm always looking outside of myself. You know, uh, as a as a person uh, in this program, I've been through a lot of, uh, you know, met a lot of people. And what I've realized is how this program works is because of you. But getting engaged, participating with other people, interacting with other people, being of service. I suffer from depression and I woke up one morning now, a few years ago, actually not that long ago, and I was so depressed, I didn't even want to get out of bed. Why bother? What was all of this? What's, what's the fucking point of all of this? And then, you know, I realized, well, no, you're always talking about picking up the phone. Why don't you give it a try? So I picked up the phone and I texted a couple people. And one of them texted back, I'm so glad you're on my sobriety team. <laughs> and I thought, I'm on a team. I'm a team. I've never been a team player. I'm on a team. And I got up and I made my bed, cleaned myself up and went to a meeting. Uh, it was, oh, that's right. I didn't need to tell them I was depressed. I didn't. I just said, how you doing? But to realize that I wasn't alone in this journey was what it meant. And I still do that. Not, you know, early sobriety, if you're a newcomer, early sobriety is not easy. It sucks. And long-term sobriety can suck too sometimes. Uh, you know, old old habits die hard. The idea of, uh, you know, that those steps of shortcomings and defects, I, I prefer to think of them as bad habits. Working on my bad habits in a more skillful way, as the Buddhists say, you know, that I might find a, a, a better way. And when I, when I, when I, honk on my horn and step on the gas to go around that SOB. I was like, take a deep breath. No, we back off the gas. You don't need to be there one minute earlier than you were going to be anyway. And calming down. And there it is again. That breath. Sobriety has given me the idea, you know, taught me to pause, you know, to, to, to pause. When one of my Sponsees reached out to me, texted me, saying, I slipped. And I texted back, get up. And they did. They did get up. It's your program. It's your recovery. There's no right way to do this program. If somebody says you got to do it this way, you're not going <laughs> to just smile at them and Sell them some magic beans. 
It's not about magic. It's about it's about effort. What am I going to do today to make my have a to have so to have a better day, to have a better life? And I do. I'm so grateful to Alcoholics Anonymous for allowing me to become a senior citizen. I'm just turned 68 and I was like, holy smokes. And four years ago, a little baby came into my life, not mine, <laughs> but my niece. And I've been raising her since she was born. And I love her so much that I would never have had that opportunity. I don't think, even think I'd be here. But she is so wonderful and so much joy in my life. And the best part is I get to give her back. <laughs> I don't have sponsees anymore. I, I use the term recovery partners. It's less authoritarian. I'm a recovery partner with a few people in my life. And, and even now with all of you, we're partners in this. You know, give me a hand. Let me give you a hand. Kind word, smile. You know, pick up that 400 pound phone and call somebody just to say hello because I was so isolated my whole life alone or I guess I still am right years ago I found myself in the middle of nowhere in a dire emergency and the boots that I was wearing failed so I had to hike in my moccasins and I was 24 miles from the nearest road and and I had an I had a mental emotional breakdown. I was sobbing in the middle of the woods, just sobbing, just broken. And yet something within me, something with me, me, me said, gotta get going. Took those steps up the hill, up to twelve thousand feet hiking in moccasins through glaciers <laughs> ended up on top of the mountain and there was a I thought there'd be a bunch of people staying there because it was getting dark and it was just me stayed there 12,000 feet in a shelter that had been built on John Muir Pass the next morning I had to put on those shoes because I, it was glacier it was ice so I had to, and the moccasins were ruined <laughs> so I hiked down with those terrible shoes that were killing my feet and I came upon a pair of tennis shoes sitting right there next to the trail pure white tennis shoes like they'd just been bleached and taken out of the dryer oh my goodness and they're one size too big but I thought I'll take it how remarkable is that and that's all I never saw anybody there that day or the day Never ran across anybody, but I'm sure somebody sat down and went through their backpack and forgot their tennis shoes. But I'm so glad they did. <laughs> I was able to hike out of there. I like the mountains. Haven't been there in a long time. But as a young man, <clears throat> probably 18 years old, 19 years old, 
a born-again Christian in a wonderful church and a wonderful group of people who are very supportive of me. And as a young homosexual, uh, I was really struggling with my identity. I was accepted, which was kind of nice. It was really nice that the church was so open-handed and open-hearted because I was honest about who I was. But I went up to the mountain. <laughs> I went up to the mountain carrying a water bottle and a Bible. And I got up as high as I could get. And I hope I, I remember saying, with, that, with hands like this, claps absolutely tight, cutting off all the circulation, begging, please, please show me something, something. The, the agony, the misery, the shame, the guilt, it's, it's killing me. Show me, show me something with hands clasped tightly. I opened up that little Bible of mine and I put my finger down just randomly and put my finger down on a verse and it said this. You shall look for me on the mountaintop, but I will not be there. <laughs> I busted out laughing. I threw that Bible up in the air. It was like, okay, this is a this is interesting. Oh, I know Suzanne. This is interesting. So here I am today. Happy New Year, everyone. 2023. There's my friend from Manhattan. <laughs> and uh, 2023, here we are. And I started my day. Somebody said to me, Happy New Year. You know what? Every day is Happy New Year for me. For me. And in my studying, now that I'm studying and looking into different types of views, I came across the story of the Buddha coming to his follower and asking that follower, Tell me, what is a lifespan? And the follower thought about it and said, a single day. And the Buddha shook his head and says, no, you, you don't understand the way. And he went to another follower and asked him, tell me, what is a lifespan? And he said, oh, it's a single meal. And the Buddha shook his head and says, no, you don't understand. And he went to his youngest, newest follower, and he asked her, tell me, what is a lifespan? And without hesitation, she said, a lifespan is but a single breath. And the Buddha said, yes, you understand. A single breath. Where is it? It's all right here. It's all right here. This moment. Now, now it's gone. Here comes another one. So I live my life this way. I'm helpful to others. I'm kind to others. 
I practice compassion as best I can. And if I fall down, well, I get up. If I slip, get up. Join me in a single breath, everyone, please. There's a lifespan, my lifespan, this lifespan. I don't know about the mind part, but this lifespan is but a single breath. And I'm going to enjoy it. I'm going to enjoy it because I, I'll leave you with this. The purpose of living is to enjoy it. And I never started getting sober. I, I don't have to go, I don't have to confess, I don't have to chant, I don't have to pray. I just need to sit and come back to this moment and I can enjoy it. Go chase that little one around. She says, you can't catch me. I said, you're right, I can't. <laughs> well, with that, I'm going to end my talk and hopefully you have some questions you can ask me. Uh, thank you all for coming today and thank you all for keeping me sober.